0: And for me, it's always about the journey. I mm. mean, the movies, you'll never know how the, how the movies are gonna, uh, how they're gonna fare. They might be a big success and they might be something no one hears of. It doesn't matter.
1: Hey, my name is Nadine, and welcome to In Her Lens. In this weekly series, I chat with today's women in film about their journeys and their work. I am joined this week by the legend herself, Elisabeth daughter. Hailing from Iceland, Elisabeth is one of today's most sought-after and acclaimed editors. Having started as a cinematographer, Elisabeth became a mother and instead found her footing in the editing world with her love for story, images, and rhythm balancing work in her home country and internationally, her transition to Hollywood came with the American remake of the Icelandic film she edited, Reykjavik Rotterdam, called Contraband. Her work in editing dance films, short docs, and TV shaped Elizabeth to become one of today's biggest action cinema editors. She is the editor behind the 2014 John Wick, 2015's Atomic Blonde, and the 2018 Deadpool 2. Her impeccable skills in balancing on-screen emotion and movement hasn't kept her just in the action realm. She's also edited comedies like Playing With Fire, TV dramas like the Icelandic series Trapped, and independent cinema like the film Between Heaven and Earth. She's the editor of the upcoming Netflix female assassin film, Kate, and the upcoming Marvel film, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. In this episode, Elizabeth and I talk about her Icelandic roots and about the World War II army barrack converted to a movie theater where she fell in love with cinema. We chat about the importance of valuing journey over destination, people over product, and the ultimate trait of pushing through fear because what you want is on the other side. We talk about film editing in three parts, pre-production, in-production, and post-production. Elizabeth shares about how she edits big action sequences and the importance of collaboration with stunt teams in connection to her experiences on John Wick and Atomic Blonde. She tells us about her health scare on Deadpool 2. And finally, she shares her life rules, which she carries into the editing room and everyday life. I'm so stoked. I'm so honored. I can't wait for you all to get to know the awe-inspiring woman behind some of today's biggest films. So... Without further ado, here is Elisabeth Walnut's daughter on In Her Lens. Okay, well, before we start off, um, I usually start with a uh, rapid fire round questions, kind of get the mind working for us to get to know you a little bit better.
0: I hope my mind works. What is your favorite, dawn or dusk? They're both. Favorite dawn or dusk, but I guess I'm more of a dawn person. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Wine or beer? I'd, uh, probably wine. I'm not a big alcohol person,
1: but probably wine. Mm-hmm. Travel to space or to the bottom of the ocean?
0: Ooh! Can I stay at home? <laughs> <laughs> Fair.
1: Neither. Neither. <laughs> um, what was your favorite subject in school?
0: Uh... It was actually uh, Icelandic, with uh, not learning the language per se, but we had like poems and you know mm-hmm. Icelandic authors we were reading and
1: um, a subject that you wish they had
0: taught you in school. Um, I wish they had taught me feminism. Mm-hmm. There, me too. Uh,
1: board game or card game? Mm, card game. Appetizer or dessert?
0: Dessert, <laughs> yes.
1: Um, a city that you think people should visit
0: can or should because I don't think it's possible right now. But um, they should visit when they can. When they can, I, th- Damascus. Oh, that's a good one. Um, mm. a city
1: that you would like to visit
0: any city in South America. I've never been to South America. Oh wow. Okay.
1: Um, three hour movie or ten hour series.
0: Uh, (laughs) To watch or work on Uh, well it depends on how good it is i can do that's true that's true if it's good i can do 10 hour series if it's good
1: that's a good that's a good measurement if it's good both um
0: what's the last thing that you read oh my gosh i've been reading scripts for like five years i have hardly (laughs) read anything else but I've I've been reading some Icelandic authors.
1: Mm-hmm. Beach or mountains?
0: Uh, mountains. Ah, no, beach. Oh, in the middle. I am. Beach on uh, one side, mountains on the other side. Yeah, exactly. Stay in the middle. A phone calendar or a physical calendar? Oh, I like physical. I want to be that person with a yeah. physical calendar. That's I want to the be person, that person to- I want to be. <laughs> But I'm not. I'm more of a, um, yeah, screaming it into my phone. Remember this, remember that. Yeah, yeah that feels very recognizable. Mm. Um, fall or spring? Fall. Mm-hmm. I like fall. But I also like spring. I mean, can we like it I mean, it but all? We, can, we, we can like it all for sure. I, I just, I like, I like uh, when it's like clear. hmm. Yeah. There's a clear autumn. There's a clear spring. The kind of
1: crispness of it. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. And change of colors. And yeah, that, it
1: is exciting in the transitional, um, yeah. seasons. Um, last question. What is the last thing
0: that you watched? Oh, Mare of Eastwick. Is it? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That Ooh. is a good series. That's a good one. Great recommendation.
1: Okay, Elizabeth, let's talk about you and how you came to be today's, one of most sought after movie editors. Where did you grow up? What did your early years look like?
0: Well, I'm born and raised in Reykjavik, Iceland. Um, <laughs> early last century. It's crazy, right? But, um, yeah, born and raised in Iceland, uh, I just had like quite a normal Icelandic childhood Mm -hmm. in the sense that we just left our houses in the morning and we didn't return until it was dinner. Um, And I really, I think it's such a privilege to have grown up in such a free environment and safe Mm -hmm. environment Mm -hmm. Um, as a kid that you, you got to, you know, research and find out stuff yourself and I always I have raised four children myself and Mm -hmm. even though the world is different with every child um I like to give them the opportunity of being bored so they can go and find out stuff for themselves to do and, Mm and explore and so I think that was a big privilege um I used to deliver the papers uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, and every month as a prize on top of the wages we got to see a movie mm. and there was an old army barack uh, f- oh, since yeah. the second world war uh, it was like uh, an old old movie theater and it was just so magical i remember just going into this really old in a very bad condition, actually, Army Barak, and they would screen those movies. But I, I, there's some magic about it. Now you go into the movie theaters and it's marble and, you know, Mm -hmm. everything is so fancy. Mm -hmm. But there, it was just all about the movie. Mm -hmm. What did your parents do? My father is an artist. Um, He's a painter. Um, But he has worked on the theory of... uh, uh, beginning of life <laughs> for the wow. last 50-60 years he is an artist, a painter mm-hmm. uh, my mother worked all kinds of works she worked at the hospital, in the kitchen she worked as a daycare person mm-hmm. so my house was like a daycare center for a while I think she worked to, so that my father mm. could do his art that she mm-hmm. would do the work they have a lovely, amazing relationship, they're still very much in love, mm. but uh, it came with a price.
1: <laughs> and do you think that because your dad was an artist, how did you kind of realize that film was a thing that you could do for a career, and did your parents
0: encourage that? I'm from a different era. Parents didn't meddle. I mean, mm. I, don't, I think my parents came to school once a year. <laughs> You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That was Mm -hmm. just the norm. So they didn't meddle. Um, And I think on top of that, my parents were very keen on us choosing our own paths. Mm -hmm. So we weren't pushed anywhere. I mean, even once I wanted to learn a guitar, I remember I was probably 12, 13 years old and I really wanted to learn to play the guitar. And my father said, well, if you want to learn to play the guitar, you learn to play the guitar because he was like, you don't need lessons if you want to learn it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they were kind of on that line that Mm -hmm. if you aspire to something, you would do it. I did a lot of dance films,
1: Uh
0: like short, very artistic dance movies, which were all about choreography.
1: Is that kind of the first time that you started making
0: films? No, no, I had worked for a while before that uh, but a friend of mine is a, dan- a professional dancer and she wanted to make those dance movies so we did together mm-hmm. she's still doing them mm. but uh, we spent a lot of time just working on that mm-hmm. uh, but it's where I really got into choreography and how you could play with it and yeah do you
1: remember the first time that you kind of encountered editing? editing
0: it's such a long time ago well i did go through film school so i i was aware of editing i was going to be a cinema photographer that was my aim but um so i was aware of film editing the whole time but it was when i had my kids i have four children and when i had my first children it's just it's so difficult to be and plus i was a single mom it's mm-hmm. so difficult to work on set because so many people have to trust that you show up and there are so many things especially with small children that can come up so it's a very stressful thing for parents right definitely single parents to have to turn up on set every day Mm -hmm. and that's when I felt it was just too stressful so I moved into the editing where I could you Know, control my time better. Had more, I, it you know, if I was an hour late or something, nothing happened, you know, it was mm-hmm. all good. Or if I had to skip a day, or it was manageable in a different way. But I just absolutely fell in love with the process, so I'm still doing it.
1: Where do you think your um, love and, and feel for visual storytelling comes from?
0: I mean, I think it comes from just life, right? Well, we are imi- imitating life but it comes from obviously all those monthly visits to the army barack watching movies absolutely mm-hmm. affected it i believe and tv and i mean when i was growing up there wasn't any icelandic tv it came when i was at, well i was probably like six seven years old when i saw tv first mm-hmm. And we had a very, what can I say, um, not advanced TV in Iceland for years and years, uh, and only black and white and all that. But I think all of this was just magic when it mm. came and it affected me to be a part. Of, I mean, you are born into TV.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But I kind of got to experience it like uh, come to life, happen, come to life yeah. happening. Yeah. But uh, I, but I think what it inspires us to tell stories is life and and obviously reading. I mean, we I come from a generation that reads a lot, mm-hmm. which I feel is disappearing with some of my children. I have one daughter. <laughs> she reads everything. I mean, you can hardly she can't walk the street without having a book in her hand. Mm-hmm. But it's still getting less and less because there is more. Uh, you, you have more options mm. but uh, I come from a generation that read a lot. Kind of amazing because it also helps with your imagination because when you're reading you're building that world in your head that you're reading about mm-hmm. What did your early career look like? So you went to film school. went to London uh, London uh, International Film School um, when was it? Eighteen nine I think 88 or 89, I went to London to do film school. I mean, my early career was just chaotic. (laughs) Uh, I was a single mom when I went to the film school. Uh, I got out of film school, had another child, became single mom again, now with two children. I mean, this is just life. It's just hectic. Mm -hmm. But I still stuck with it, you know? I didn't mm-hmm. give up, I kept going. Maybe because I didn't know what else to do, <laughs> <You know? laughs> Maybe didn't have any other talents, but I stuck with it. But it was chaotic, but extremely rewarding because I'm from a small place in Reykjavik, mm-hmm. Iceland. So I became a part of, you know, uh, getting Icelandic filmmaking, you know, out to the world. It was yeah, like, yeah, it was kind of amazing. Because obviously people had been doing films in Iceland since before I was born. But um, mm-hmm. it kind of became a teenager when I, mm-hmm. <laughs> when I went into the film. Not because of me, but just because of the, the era. It was kind of growing out of its kids' years. It was, mm-hmm. you know, getting more, more and more professional. And it's a privilege to have been a part of that.
1: What are some of the early films that you worked on that you distinctly remember as big growing experiences for a young editor?
0: Yeah, no, I have some. I, for example, the first movie I edited was actually a Feroese movie mm-hmm. called Bye Bye Bluebird," And that was just an uh, amazing experience. Mm-hmm. It was the first uh, feature-length film made in, Fe- in the Feroese. Mm-hmm. And uh, Catherine, the director, she was amazing. And we just had such a good time. And for me, it's always about the journey. I mm. mean, the movies, you never know how the how the movies are going to, uh, how they're going to fare. They might be a big success and they might be something no one hears of. It doesn't matter the journey. I've always mm-hmm. taken the journey. So I I really appreciate the journey and i want the journey to be a good experience also because i believe you better have fun if you want other <laughs> people to enjoy the work you know mm-hmm. but uh, yeah that was a that was a big step for me and then i did a movie called the jar city which is an icelandic movie directed by Balthasar, uh kormagor and um that was also a great experience we went up north to like this very cool very isolated place and i took the kids with me and we stayed there over the winter but obviously some movies have, have advanced my career and others might not have advanced it it doesn't mean it they were important part of my journey even though they didn't hurtle me forward but yeah mm-hmm.
1: well you've been interested in the industry for such a long time you've worked on such a wide variety of projects you know dance films as we talked about documentaries just feature films and a lot of big action films like john wick and um, atomic blonde and Deadpool 2 Um, how did you begin to build your voice as an editor and how do you kind of distinguish yourself in that realm?
0: Now you sound like it's all planned. (laughs) (laughs) It's not, Mm. but I also say you can't be something you're not. If you're going to pretend to be something, I think for me, at least it's not going to work. I just, I'm just me. And How I built, I don't really, I just kind of just go with the flow and what's going to happen. And I mean, a lot of my projects are just based on luck because let's not remember, let's not forget, sorry, Mm -hmm. let's not forget that the reason you become a big editor, I put brackets on it, (laughs) Whatever (laughs) whatever that means, is because you get on a project that becomes visible and the reason it becomes visible is not because of you. Mm. It's because of the size of the project. It's because of the people attached to the project, both actors, cinema photographers, directors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. For me, movie making is always about cooperation. Mm-hmm. And you are never better than the weakest link. You know, it's like you just you have to come forward as a whole, as a team. Mm-hmm. and you have to have the same aim etc 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 so my success is because i've been lucky enough to get those big projects yeah you know but i also like to remind people sometimes things just look really shitty and you think like <laughs> oh my god i'm never gonna get a, you know i'm never gonna get another project for example Um, A director I had worked with many, many years, he got this big project in America, uh, Two Guns. And I thought I was going to edit it because I, I had up to that point edited most of his stuff. But he decided that he needed a different kind of an editor. And that was a big, like, I was sure that was the end of me in Hollywood, you know. Right, right. That was my director deserted me like who's mm. gonna pick me up and that's when i went to this meeting with um, chad and david doing john wick so mm-hmm. <laughs> if i had done two two gums i would never have gotten john wick you know so it's just weird how life is and sometimes when you think everything is just that's it something mm-hmm. else happens and if you're if you're lucky and i've been lucky a
1: little bit of movie god magic being
0: sprinkled on yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you talked a
1: little bit about the importance of you uh, bringing yourself to every project. Uh, what is it like being uh, from Iceland and then working in London and then going to the States and working on these different movies and bringing that identity with you?
0: Well, it sometimes looks silly. I, you know, I do have an accent. Um, I sometimes lack words. I. I think it's important to have a very good relationship with the people you're working with. You have to be, so even if I lack the words, I just have to dive into that conversation. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So I think everything you, everything you want is on the other side of fear. So you just, you have to go into it fearless. It's the only, I think it's the only way fearless in the sense that you have to, open you have to take the dialogue and you can't be shy about all your Mm -hmm. you know everything you lack you can't be shy about it you know you just have to be able to go past it so and I sometimes walked into this wall like I don't have the language I don't have all those fancy words and then Mm -hmm. I just remember and I shake myself up and just go fuck all the
1: yeah yeah you can swear you please yeah.
0: <laughs> do fuck all those uh fancy words and yeah i'm just gonna be me and i think that's so important in creative work there is no doubt in my mind there are editors out there far more be- far better than i am mm. you know what i mean that's not the point the point is there's only one me mm-hmm. There are greater editors, but there's only one me, and I might lack the fancy words, and I might lack all kinds of things. But I have a lot of passion and fun, and fearlessness. that is it doesn't necessarily come naturally. You just have no, to- it
1: doesn't. It's a really big, important part of also doing this work because um, it feels so competitive and it feels so um, uh, like such a gift when you do get to work. Um, and I know as a person who also like is, uh, speaks multiple languages and and, like, I can speak this language really well in this part of my life. And then this part of my life, I speak it way better in this language. And then the words, yeah, get all mixed up. And that sometimes feels like a lacking, but it also is just who I, who I am. And owning that is so important. Exactly. I wanna split this conversation up in three parts because uh, for the uh, the listeners uh, who might not necessarily know a lot about editing as a job and as a career and as a day-to-day reality, and I wanna talk about pre-production, production, production, and then post-production. For you, how do you choose the stories that you wanna tell or be a part of telling when you have the choice?
0: (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah, I do have a chance now That I didn't have in the beginning, where I can choose. I can pick and choose. I have one rule. If I if there are two projects and I don't know which one to take, they're both great, I just follow the woman.
1: We love to hear it.
0: (laughs) It can be the director, it can be the actress, whatever. Just follow the woman. So that's my number one rule when choosing projects. Follow the woman. So, yeah. And again, I also just like working with people I worked with before because I know what I'm going into. And I obviously wouldn't be doing it again if I didn't like the crew. Mm -hmm. But then also it happens that you take projects because you kind of feel you should or because it's big enough. But you just have to, I mean, every project teaches you something. It's like with studying, I'm always telling my kids, like, it doesn't matter if you want to go, I don't know, should I go to psychology or English literature or just doesn't matter, do whatever you want, because it's not lost time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how i think of every project it might not be my favorite project or maybe i just had to take it because sometimes you just have to put bread on the table it's not Mm -hmm. all just about oh what do i want it's like Mm -hmm. there are bills to pay and so there are so many reasons for taking a project Mm -hmm. i'm just not rich enough to (laughs) only do pet projects but Every single project teaches you something and mm-hmm. that, I think that's the important thing. It's not only about what you can give to it, it's all, also what can you take from it. And it doesn't matter how small the project is or you know how how what how horrible time you had on it, you can always take something from it. Mm -hmm. and I think that's how you build yourself up not necessarily as a film editor but maybe as a person
1: Mm -hmm. yeah that energetic exchange with projects just in general because it is about human storytelling and telling stories and like in that process you are also building your own story and like that is always going to be a a give and take
0: yeah so and I I think after all I think it's more important to be a good human being than being a good editor or doctor or whatnot if you're not a good human being so you say yes to a project what does the timeline look like let's say
1: let's talk about Deadpool 2 um what did that project look like in terms of timeline when did you hop on board and what did the early stages look like as an editor joining a project
0: so I actually joined Deadpool 2 a bit early because we did like a pre like a short film that was supposed to be like a like a teaser for the movie. Uh, no, uh, it's called No Good Deed, and uh, so I came on board. I don't remember the dates completely, but I came. It was before Christmas, so probably early November. I came and we did that short movie, and then I went. We had Christmas, and then we came. We gathered in Canada. I mean, we read the script. And also, it matters that I have a very good relationship with both David Leach and Kelly McCormick, who was a producer on that project. So I read the script. We talked about it. And so it was going back and forth. Then we meet up and we start shooting. And um, it's not a good project to take as an example because... Shit happened. I sometimes think that I'm like a method editor <laughs> on Deadpool. I just crashed with a stage four cancer uh, when we were shooting. So we were halfway through shooting and there had some horrible things happened on that movie. Um, we had accidents and people died. and. It was it was a, a extremely harsh for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I just crashed midway through shooting. I crashed and it turned out I was very sick and stayed in the hospital for like three months. How, how are you today? I'm good today, still, okay. still kicking ass. Yes.
1: But good, I'm also good. good
0: today because I was working with wonderful people. So we were in Canada, in Vancouver, uh, I crashed, uh, turns out I have this cancer and my teammates uh, found this doctor in LA and, uh, and then airlifted me. With a pri- yeah. I can't remember any of it because I was not conscious for the, all of this. But, uh, mm-hmm. And they got me airlifted from Vancouver to LA where I got treatment, top treatment. Mm-hmm. I'm very privileged. It was amazing. And I'm fine. There's okay. nothing Good to wrong hear. with me today. Cancer free. Amazing. We can leave that project to the side then. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I did come back. So after mm-hmm. after I finished the hospital, I came back and I I wasn't, I couldn't, I had kind of had to learn to walk again or like mm-hmm. not learn, but like get the the strength because I didn't have anything left. So I wasn't really ready to turn up to work at the studio, but they did set up an editing suite in an Airbnb in Venice, and uh, so I edited from there. Mm-hmm. I was like a month later, I started coming to the studio, so. so I did return, but it's just a bad example because that just went really sideways.
1: I'm very happy that you're okay. And <laughs> <Thank> um, you. <laughs> love, I love that that's the film that I chose to talk about. <laughs> but we can, we can just switch gears and talk about, let's say, let's talk about Atomic Blonde, because that is a film that I watched that I for the first time realized that I was watching your work, um, uh, even though I had seen previous of your films, but that's when the first time I was like, oh, I'm watching Elizabeth's work. Oh, that's so um, nice. So with that film, you received the script, it's gone through many drafts, probably through different hands. Uh, where do you begin to provide your input and build your relationship with the director?
0: It's it's just before you, like a month or two before you start shooting, you start getting the script. And it's extremely important to get the script at that point because, it, like you say, it's gone through so many loops and so many reviews. And my number one is... For the first, read the script and see if there. I mean, sometimes you're like, why are we doing this? Nothing comes Mm. out of it. Like, it's Mm. a dead end. And you can talk about that, but also just ghosts. Mm. What do you mean by that? I can make up an example. Mm -hmm. Let's say there's a character that's cut out of the movie, but there's still dialogue about that character, possibly, in the script
1: uh okay because yeah.
0: people are so used to it they're they don't realize so you would have to point out and say okay that character is gone you need yeah. to change that
1: you have that kind of fresh perspective
0: yeah exactly yeah. so you don't so you try to get rid of all those ghosts mm-hmm. but also just story beats and character beats and you can bring notes it doesn't mean it's everyone listens to it but you can bring them and i think that's important to understand as well yeah maybe no one will listen and there can be many many reasons for why Mm. i mean movie making is extremely complicated yeah and for example just learning about bond companies that come Mm -hmm. in that you can't even add scenes after a certain time because the bond company has gone in and calculated the whole thing. And Mm. a little trade secret is sometimes you sneak in an extra scene or take under a slate of a scene that is already settled because just to get it through the bond company.
1: Uh Yeah, yeah.
0: It's tricky.
1: Do you immediately start building the film in your head when you read the script?
0: Yeah, I do. Yes, Mm -hmm.
1: yes. And do you look at any like source materials um,
0: ahead of production, depending on the film, maybe? That depending on the film and depending on the director's vision. He might have a vision based on other films or other scenes or or artwork or theater or whatever you know so you try to have all of that settled that you've seen it all you know what he's talking about or see Uh, yeah and i already start listening to music and Mm -hmm. stuff like that and
1: so you mentioned you you look at uh, character beats story beats um do you look at the action like what are some things that you start taking note of early on
0: uh, action is let's <laughs> because yeah i get a lot of glory for action mm. but i just try not to fuck it up and again i've been lucky i've been working with the best choreographers stunt choreographers and designers and stunt people they are doing the hard work and then you just come in and try not to fuck it up and do as, well <laughs> as possible but I've been so lucky to work on movies that with producers that, and director that understands what it takes to do action. So they've given time, allocated time and money to train actors mm-hmm. and, uh, and time and uh, resources to choreograph it and to ac- execute it perfectly.
1: Do you get the videos from the training ahead of
0: uh, production uh, when it comes sometimes, to accent? Sometimes, sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes I had, like, it, it's usually it's not quite the same as the end product, but you get the idea. And, um, and sometimes it has to be shortened. I've gotten uh, post-stunt uh, visits, we call it stunt visits, where the stunt people have filmed. Their stunts, how they have thought it. I've gotten it, and it's just too long. So we need to cut it down. So I get the stunt with, and then I cut that down.
1: Yeah, interesting.
0: So for the listeners, let's break down the process
1: of an editor in production. Um, do you go to production every day? Or are you on set every day or uh, at the evening? Do you get the dailies? Um, what is your process with dailies? Do you have one and how do you make sure that you get the coverage that you need for editing for each scene?
0: Number one rule to make sure everything is in-house is to have an amazing first assistant. And that's another place where I've been lucky. I've worked a lot with uh, Matt Absher, who I call the king of post. <laughs> he just takes care of it. There is nothing that escapes him. And uh, so that, again, I'm not going to take Laurie for that because that's him <laughs> all the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, But sometimes he's not available. And then I work with other first assistants, but they are all I will only work with amazing people. Make sure that all this groundwork for editing is perfect. In, during production, you usually have a editing suite somewhere close to where they're filming. Mm-hmm. And so you, you assemble stuff, you look at the, the dailies, you assemble stuff. And it depends on how time sensitivity is sometimes they need like an edited scene because the shooting pickups for it the day after or whatnot so it depends on the time sensitivity of the scenes how fast it goes yeah but it's usually the most tedious part of the process because you have to edit everything just to see it you have to have it But your mind is going like, no, we're not going to use this. No, this is going out. This is going out. Oh, we're going to put this here. But at this stage, you shouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I sometimes have like a secret bin (laughs) where I'm doing this stuff just to calm my mind you know and uh, do you watch the dailies with their director or do you watch them alone usually not it used to be in the old days i'm not old that in the <laughs> beginning we did this on film so every time f- uh, it would come from the lab you would go to the cinema and you would watch it with a director yeah. Yeah. but today dailies go on ipads and like on the internet people watch it in the comfort of their homes and also just people are busy like Mm -hmm. we're shooting a movie so there's no time allocated in the production schedule to go watch dailies together right but we do try at least once or twice during that period to watch edits together Mm -hmm. so even if it's or it depends on so many things but at least sit together and watch something uh, just to see how it feels and also just to keep the spirit going. Yeah, but also for the director to see something is coming together.
1: Yeah, know, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, on action films, how involved are you with the stunt coordinators and what is um, that relationship like? Because you're going to be editing their work and how are they working for the edits?
0: Again, it really depends on the people you're working with. I've had great relationship with some of the stunt choreo Co- coordinators I worked with where we have talked together, they come, I tried to get them to come in and look at stuff. And then there are stunt coordinators I've never met. You know, it's, it, there are so many different reasons.
1: Yeah. One of the most impressive um, edits um, that I love from uh, Atomic Blonde is this almost two minute long action sequence, uh, fight sequence that happens. And there's a really beautiful balance between the emotional connection you have with Lorraine, who's played by Charlize Theron, and the incredible uh, stunt coordination that's happening whilst being filmed. And it feels like one long shot. Um, Talk a little bit about building that um, from script
0: to... Yeah, that is actually an idea that came from the producer, Kelly McCormick, and David loved it. David is such a... It's his pleasure working with him because he's extremely collaborative. He understands it's about getting people together and get the best from everyone. He really understands the concept of making a movie. Some people should rather just go paint a painting, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> they don't understand. It's all about filmmaking is a collaborative art and he really understands that concept. and uh, so he got all departments together and that's, for example, an instant where I was on set every single day for all of that scene.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Look at takes, every take after, see how we could stitch it together so to make one take, but also to talk about maybe we, should, we are losing him. Maybe mm. we should pen to him. Oh, maybe we can just stay one more beat at her by the door, you know. So we mm-hmm. would talk about this stuff yeah it it was such a great experience yeah but also costumes and makeup and stuff because it had to escalate through yeah. the whole scene it's and a they, huge escalation it, yeah 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 but i think it's one of the one it's one of the scenes that just shows what good collaboration can bring to the screen where all departments are involved
1: yeah yeah yeah, is really exciting and it's exciting to hear that you were on set with that too because i can also imagine with stunt coordination that there's so much that the stunts do that are specific um, moves in in fighting that um, like i don't know much about about fighting um so it's like nice to have i'm sure as an editor and as an outside eye to have that connection so that you can edit to also what a real fight really is like
0: yeah exactly
1: So you get all the coverage and uh, production is wrapped, uh, shooting is wrapped. There are a lot of editing programs out there. Do you have one that you tend to edit on and what would you recommend to um, young editors say to kind of focus their skill
0: building in? I'm an old woman. (laughs) No, but I've edited on anything and I've always said, just bring, I don't care, bring me scissors. I'll do it. Because it's not about the software, but there is easy software and there is more complicated software. Uh, I I work most with Avid, mm-hmm. mainly because all the pipelines are so clear, like f- for sound, for visual effects. You know the the pipelines are so they they are already established and it's really easy. And especially mm-hmm. when you have a really pressed production schedule, you go with Avid every time just because those pipelines are in place. Everyone knows what's happening and how to deliver stuff and do it. And it's, a, it's an easy software to work on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you have any
1: rules in your editing room?
0: <laughs> rules in my editing room. No, but there are certain rules, like you don't fight in my editing room. We can have discussions, but if anyone's going to fight, they can do it somewhere else. Because fighting is not about, is not a creative process. I, I just think it's tedious. And it, again, it just doesn't help with the creative process. But arguments and discussions, I welcome them. <laughs> just... I think it's just, well, I do have some rules, but they're more like life rules. Mm. Uh, you don't talk down to people. I try to have it relaxed also. I I don't believe in fear. I don't believe keeping people in fear. You know, if the childcare is closed, bring the kid or don't bring the kid. Stay at home. Mm. I mean, it's for crying out life. We're making a movie. Mm. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No one's going to die if this waits another day or i i think it's important to remember that we are in the creative business it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't mean that i don't understand my responsibility i do understand my responsibility i do understand the responsibility of so much money some of those movies are so big with a lot of money i have great understanding of all of that And we will take the extra length to make sure we hit all our deadlines and deliver in time and deliver. But that doesn't mean that you can't give leeway to people having a life, you know, and I think that's important. Yeah. An editor like really
1: builds the story. You know, you make decisions, you choose the uh, the shots that are chosen, you're putting yourself in the perspective of the audience and then balancing emotion and action and constructing really the rhythm of the film. Um, yeah, how does that process look like for you? What are things that are really important to you when you are constructing from the beginning and not getting too overwhelmed with all uh, all the content that is in front of you?
0: yeah I think this is an elephant you eat one bite at a time, and you have to remember that you just have to concentrate for example it's easy to think of acts, so if I get overwhelmed, I just go into the acts like you have the first act, the second act, the third act, like you try to makes it a bit easier mm-hmm. but i then again it's all it's a whole story but Still, if you can work in each act and make it good and well, and it, within the acts, it's it's seen. Mm-hmm. Then it's always it gets easier and easier. I hope to see where you're going, what is needed, etc. But again, it's not a solo affair. You're working with other people. If it's your your assistants or people involved in any way the director you know there's you are not alone doing this yeah and i think it's very important especially if you get stuck just say it i don't know what the fuck to do here because then at least you can have the dialogue take the dialogue like this and i mean and Directors tend to love their material. So you might be going, I don't think, we, I think we need to cut this out. And mm-hmm. it stays in for months and months before it goes out. For my brain, that's sometimes difficult. I'm like, oh, this needs to go out. And then you have to wait. <laughs> but that's also important, again, because it's a, it's a collaborative art. You mm-hmm. can't just go, you can't go ahead of any, everybody you have, to keep, you have to keep people with you on this journey. You can't just race past them. Yeah. You know. yeah.
1: And temp music, is it something that you use? And what's your relationship with editing to music?
0: I don't edit to music. Mm-hmm. I don't. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean I don't put music down. I just don't add it to it. Because I think it's extremely important to find the rhythm in the scene itself. Yeah, everything looks good with music especially good music you know and music is just such a powerful medium it takes over
1: mm-hmm. so
0: I think I always think like again we have to remember how people watch movies for now we're talking about movies because I edit them but everything we do we have to understand how people consume it and today people are watching it on their phones or or it's just running on a tv without sound Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i wanted to look good also when it's just (laughs) running without sound or if Mm it and i do that when i've edited something i watch it again and again and again it's exhausting sometimes but i do watch it again and again and again and i watch it with sound i watch it without sound and it's extremely helpful to watch stuff you do without sound Again, sound is such a powerful medium. So if you want to get your edits right, watch it without any sound.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And with um, action films, in terms of sound effects, how early on do you work with these? Because they're so powerful in terms of the
0: hits and the shots. It's done. Uh, It's extremely important in action and I do the first pass and then I usually get my first to lay sound on it before I finish editing just to make sure that works but I still watch it without the sound.
1: (laughs) How do you as an editor kind of build emotion in action scenes? Because they can very often feel quite overwhelming and there's a lot going on yet very beautifully. in a lot of your work, we still like in John Wick, we still are very much with him. Um, How do you prioritize
0: that? You can't do anything. They don't shoot, (laughs) you know, they have to shoot it for you to do it. But we had massive discussions before they shot John Wick we talked about it in detail then they went to shoot it and then you just have to again in the collaboration uh, just find the right balance of where to lend that emotion in the fights and based on the material you have Again, you, can't, you can bend material and you do that constantly. You kind of bend it to work in your, the way you want it to work. You can't do anything that you don't have. You can't edit something you don't have.
1: Right, right, right. What is your favorite part in post-production? Is it the color grading? Is
0: it the first pass? <laughs> um, I love editing stuff that has problems you all know what i mean problems. yeah all kinds of problems like if the character isn't really working or if the story because then you have to go in and vent it, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean i want my projects to have problems <laughs> but it's absolutely that's when i'm in my element i love doing that just watching everything going through all the scenes because there might be a shot in a completely different scene that you can use in this scene to make that bend, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just love that stuff. It's a bit like, you know, doing solve riddles and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like a puzzle. um, Yeah, like a puzzle. puzzle kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or any puzzle. You just have to make, you're trying to get it to come together and work. And I know that's not a good thing to say, but I do love that. I do, no, but love that's it exciting. Yeah. I just find it exciting, and it just really gets you in your element, like trying to figure out and fancy the material. And
1: is there ever a case when something isn't working, and how do you recover
0: from then, or how do you try to recover? Yeah, there's always something that doesn't work. Not because people aren't; everyone is doing their best job. But this is not exact science. Mm -hmm. So there's always something that's not going to work. And it doesn't matter how many times you read over a script or... There's always something that's going to fall through the cracks. And especially because you have a script and everything that happens is an interpretation of that script. The actors interpret it, the costumes interpret it, the DP interprets it all with the guided by the vision of the director but it's all interpretation and all this interpretation lands in your lap Mm -hmm. and then you have to also because that's production value you have to try to pull out everything that all those people have put into this product but we're all human and something's always gonna go wrong I I I dare someone to tell me they went through a shoot, made a masterpiece <laughs> and nothing went wrong. Yeah. It's, because we're human. And I, for a long time ago, and I don't remember, I think, I think it was because I witnessed it. Someone at the premiere telling the director, I knew it. I knew that wouldn't work. And I remember, I just promised myself, I'm never going to be that person. I will always speak out during the production and i might not always be right i might say okay i think we have a problem here and i don't know what the problem is but something's bothering me in this section Mm -hmm. and we watch it and they're going nothing's wrong but the thing is it starts a dialogue and then maybe we realize this is not the problem it's in the scene before but it's the dialogue that leads us to some kind of a conclusion Mm-hmm. But if we don't take the dialogue and what? I tell the director when it flops, oh, I knew we had a the problem there. You know, it's like, yeah, it's not useful. It's not don't constructive. ever be that person.
1: Mm-hmm. One of the final stages is a test screening and you enter a room with an audience. Um, how do you navigate seeing? That's pre-COVID. Like, yeah, pre-COVID. Pre-COVID let's delete this year for one second <laughs> um how do you navigate feeling I do film? not
0: gladly I, yeah. I it
1: <laughs> um how do you navigate feeling the impact of the film on other people for the first time
0: oh I I really enjoy test screenings I mean in the beginning of my career I couldn't sit in I was just in the bathroom throwing up literally uh but I've kind of I'm past that, but I I remember this because you're putting something out that you put so much time and nurture to, and you don't know how people are going to react to it. And in my early years as a young person, I, yeah, I couldn't handle the stress. I would just, I was literally in the bathroom throwing up. Now I just really enjoy sitting down. Maybe also because I'm working on bigger projects and there's just so many people involved. I mean, it's kind of frightening when you suddenly realize that everything you're doing is in full view of the whole crew, like all the visual effects or, Mm -hmm. you know, even marketing gets, you know, your first pass of the movie is sent to marketing and you're just like, oh my God, that was not the perfect. But so you just have to get over yourself Mm -hmm. but now I just love going in and watching people watch something because you can sense the audience like are they tired now oh that's a bit too long oh that joke really hits Mm -hmm. why isn't Mm -hmm. that joke hitting you know you can think about it but what I don't like is the questionnaire after (laughs) it really bothers me and i do understand i understand that the studios want to make something that is has as broad of an audience as possible yeah but it is really annoying to get a movie back and like oh it's really popular with anyone past 30 but 70 boys seven to eight, seventeen 17 to 18 are not digging it and you're just like okay and then you have to go and do something for boys between 17 and 18
1: that's so like interesting,
0: it. yeah. Because at the same time, you don't want to do something that everyone likes, right? That's in the heart of any artist. Why would mm. you want to be a people pleaser? But we're still <laughs> set. We are still working on an art form that is meant to please as many people as possible. So, you're, you know, and I do respect it. It doesn't mean I like it, but I respect it.
1: Fair, fair, fair. I'd never thought of that, but that's very true because you are being an artist, but also it is an industry and it is for many people and people have to watch it and buy tickets and go go see it. Um, This is a podcast about women in film. I do want to touch on it a little bit. What are the realities in terms of representation currently in the editing industry? What is it really like? Because there are statistics out there, but what is the
0: workforce like? Uh, It's so sometimes you can you can affect it and i we i i would rather not do a movie without matt Absher because again he's just so good but uh, uh, even if he's with me and he is very adamant about it himself we try to hire anyone else from As women or at least minority groups Mm -hmm. so we try to have so we are both white and middle-aged so we try to not only to fill some quota but also it matters when you're doing a project again something that's meant for a very broad audience you better have a broad yeah creative team creative team because but uh, let's face it it's mostly white men Mm -hmm. and then you try you try as best as you can to make a difference in hiring and different people. But, and white men are perfect. I mean, I'm not saying they absolutely should be there, but there is a lack of repre- uh, representation. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but uh, but it doesn't, again, I say it's tricky, but it's not. Just hire, mm. hire women, right, hire right. people of color. Mm-hmm. You know, just make it yeah. broader.
1: Yeah, there is something happening that, the, um, and we all know that, that we're functioning in this um, capitalist, white supremacist system that's currently in place, that is withholding that from happening. And there's this, just a big data gap that's happening.
0: Yeah, and let's not re- forget, we are raised in an extremely racist, mm-hmm. capitalistic society. Mm-hmm. So all our ideas are tainted by it. It doesn't matter. I am a big feminist. I believe in Black Lives Matter. I believe we need broader representation. But I'm still tainted by the society I grow up in, which is why I do this. It's a it's a bit dorky and kitsch, but I do it. I just meditate on the crew I'm working on.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: just, just trying to get rid of my own prejudices if it's female uh, or people of color in front of the camera I I try to take better care I try to understand if I cut them down I go through the whole process why am I doing it is it are they gaining from it is the movie gaining? you know I just need to understand why am I doing it this woman is naked does he have a line am i cutting out the only line she has why would i do you know you try right not not to be politically correct because that's bullshit it's because you're trying to do your best for that project
1: it's a really interesting position to be on as an editor and as a woman to realize that yeah there is power also in who's editing and then we are editing people who will be seen and the what people see is what we reflect right so it's a really interesting uh, position to be in
0: yeah and it's a privilege and i think we have to be very we have to show due respect by by doing as well as we can
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. before i ask the last question uh i do want to know what's next for you how can we keep following your work what can you tell us what can you not tell us
0: (laughs) well it's been a busy busy year but also because of covid so people haven't been able to premiere stuff so i actually have two movies coming out in september it's shang chi uh, which is a marvel
1: film I believe. it's a marvel yeah.
0: movie that mm-hmm. comes out in september but also in september comes kate on netflix again follow the woman follow the woman i think it's a female assassin movie right exactly yeah. i i had so much fun working on that and it was a delight working with cedric and we never met because i was stuck in australia and it was a what a unique what a unique experience and then i'm on bullet train now with uh, david leach who did atomic blunt and deadpool and and john wick as well with the chat Mm -hmm. so i'm on bullet train and that's fun great fun but i've been editing that from iceland but now i'm coming back
1: coming back to la (laughs) very exciting okay very last question If You could look at your younger self. Let's make her 12 years old. What would you tell her?
0: I? Would tell her to take better care of herself. I Would tell her not to stress so much. I would tell her that nothing is worth stressing over nothing I would tell her that it wouldn't pay necessarily pay off to work till three in the morning, every single day, you know, <laughs> you're still gonna be there in the morning and also believe in the power of just resting your brain. So if you're stuck with a problem, don't sit there till three in the morning, go have a walk, go home, mm-hmm. watch a movie, mm-hmm. go to an art show because it, you know, then you come fresh back to it and also have a life I mean and I tell I tell this a lot I tell it from an experience just have a life because how are you going to be creatively functional if you don't have a life everything creative comes from life and if you don't have it you you're going to have nothing to give
1: no a beautiful and correct note to end on (laughs) thank you so much for joining me it really is such an honor and exciting and i'm really just grateful
0: yeah it was so nice to meet you even in this time thank you it was my absolute privilege
1: Thank you for joining me this week. I very much hope that you enjoyed this episode. All of Elizabeth's work is linked in the episode notes and I'll be back next week. So hit that subscribe button and the little bell. You'll be notified when new episodes are live. Till then, you can follow the pod on Instagram at In Her Lens Podcast and stay safe and healthy. I'll see you soon. Cheers. Bye.